Welcome to Just Hit Record, where we talk about the life and lives of the ever-growing community of immigrants. Join us as we rant about what it's like to live the reality of the Western world through the eyes of your hosts, Pranay and Sandeep. Hey guys, welcome back to Just Hit Record. Today's episode's about finances. You've got your first job in the US or Canada. You've got a steady paycheck coming in. You've paid your rent. You've paid the utility bills and you got some money left over. Is that enough for you to get rich? Are the banks worth it over here? Do you need to go out and invest in stocks? We're going to cover some of these topics and we're actually going to talk more about the psychology behind coming from another country where the system might be different. I know for myself, I noticed that coming here and seeing the way people maybe didn't save money and use credit was a big shocker for me. And uh, I don't know, Sandeep, what was your take on that when you came here first? I think the first thing that I noticed um, that was a big difference from back home was the interest rates on the savings account. You know, growing up, I was used to uh, 11%, uh, 7%, 6%. These were interest rate numbers that were thrown around, both for savings accounts and even for, you know, personal loans. It goes both ways. But in the US, uh, I remember the interest rate was like, 0.1, 0 0.5, 0 0.5 was considered a high interest savings account. And to me, it was a joke. It was like, this is ridiculous. And very soon, I think I realized that the notion that a lot of Southeast Asian people have, and I can't comment on other countries because I'm not aware of what the economic cycle is, but at least in Southeast Asia, banks would easily provide you 5 to 6% interest. And for our parents' generation, sometimes even as high as 11%. I think things have, you know, cooled down a lot for us. But because the interest rates were so high, people would just save, save, save. Cash was king. They would just put it in a saving deposit account or like a fixed deposit for five years, 10 years at 11% interest and just let it be. And the money would grow. And that that makes complete sense. You know, if if, if a bank is going to guarantee you 10, 11% year over year, I would do the same. That's not the case in the US. You're, no one's ever giving you that. And it's kind of the same in Canada as well. And so I guess early on, the question I had was, how do you save a retirement? Like people would talk about 401ks and all of that. And of course, it went over my head. But I guess I realized soon enough that the stock market was something that you would have to understand whether you liked it or not. I mean, you could be a, a complete novice and choose to not understand the stock market and hope that you get a financial consultant who would do it for you, or you you know, take on the responsibility of learning about it, understanding it, and start investing yourself. Either ways, there's no running away from it. Because if you don't invest, there's no other way you're going to save up for retirement. What about you? So in college, I didn't really notice it as much. I knew coming in, I didn't 
pay attention maybe the way you did the, to the the savings rate at my bank account. So I had one bank account in college. It had a checking account and it had a savings account associated with it. And I'd never really paid attention to the, the savings rate till really late into almost graduating, I'd say my last semester. And the point that I noticed was when, you know, you get your, your statement balance and every once in a while, they'll tell you, this is how much you earned in interest. Yeah. And just the amount that I saw there being that low was, it was a few, maybe a dollar or a few cents, I think every, every quarter or every, uh, every month. And that just made me realize that this money is not growing in this account. It's barely, it's not meeting inflation standards for sure. And uh, I think I took charge of my finances more as soon as I got out of college and I started earning. And that's the basis for this episode too, is like you're basically in a situation where you have a steady income coming in and you you'll most likely make ends meet with that. But like you said, the idea is to, is to have money saved over for retirement, for future expenses, to have an emergency fund. And it was really hard to make that extra money on the side with just a salary job. And uh, it's only then that I started paying attention to a lot of what uh, the experts had to say in this country. I never understood the idea of stock markets in India. I didn't. See, I saw a lot of people get stressed out Me about neither. it in India. It was usually a friend's dad or someone like that I would see watching the news and watching the stocks go up and down and, you know, just losing their minds over The thing it. is, investing in India was like something that's optional and people would sometimes do it as a hobby. Some people would do it because they knew they were good at it and they would make money off it. Some people just like to gamble. It was never mandatory. It's not like you you could get away by not ever have bought a single stock in your life. You could have lived your entire existence and not have invested in the Bombay Stock Exchange. But here, uh, whether you like it or not, somebody is going to do it for you or you will have to do it yourself. All these accounts that they have, retirement accounts, be it the Roth IRAs or a traditional IRA, 401ks, uh, when people say they're putting their money into that, all you're doing with that money is basically investing into stocks, ETFs, or index funds that you hope would grow over the next few decades of your life and you retire handsomely well. And it's, I'd say most people here that grew up here are not even aware of how those tools function. It's kind of shocking because I know the system obviously works in the favor of people who have money and, you know, the system works to leech money off of students and people who can't afford things. That's why credit exists the way it exists in this country. And it's so easy to fall into that trap when you get here. Because you see things that are expensive and maybe out of reach, but the idea of credit or monthly payments that that seems smaller and, and doable, it excites someone who's maybe wanted that iPhone or wanted that expensive car and and suddenly it seems within reach. So I know a lot of people here fall into that trap. And especially when you're coming from a new country, it's really easy to think that that's the norm and that's what you should do. Uh, because you need those things. Some things you need. You need a car. You need a phone. Can you afford the specific car that you're trying to buy with you know really expensive monthly payments? Probably not. But they put it within reach 
a lot of the times over here and not really knowing how credit works and knowing the importance of even working with credit because you can do a complete 180 and decide that you're not going to play the game. You're going to, yeah. you know, just keep your cash, save your money in your accounts and not get a credit card. There's a lot of people who tell you that, you know, you fall prey to credit cards. So just best just to stay away from them completely. And it's going to bite you later because you have to play the game to to get a credit score, to be able to afford a loan somewhere down the line. And uh, that's how they measure your ability to pay back is your your credit score. So if you're not playing the game from the from day one, you're you're missing out on opportunities to to maybe invest in property or you know to actually afford a home that you might like one day but i don't i think the the switching of the mindset is the biggest thing do you remember if there was a specific instance when you actually saw yourself thinking differently about money when you came here i would like to think that my mindset hasn't changed so i dipped my toes for as much as was needed i think since we never grew up on the idea of credit uh for us both you and me and i've heard a lot of people who are even from south america just the idea of living off of credit is not something that's organic to them so the way i dealt with it was like all right i have to play the game i need a good credit score because in both us and canada everything is a credit score even from the place you rent to a background check to getting a mortgage you name it it's a credit check like you could go for a car and if you do need a loan if your credit score is shit then that interest rate is going to be very very high and you don't want that so you have to play the game and i realized that early on so what i would do is i would open up credit cards like stuff a credit cards that didn't have any annual fees at least initially uh when i didn't understand them as much but i would use it but i would pay it off every week like diligently i would pay it off every week and uh i think once i graduated i kind of got more into the credit card churning sort of a game where i started getting credit cards that kind of benefited me had points and credit cards can be wonderful you know i think both you and i have the chase uh, credit cards and they have some wonderful uh side accessories that come with having those fancy credit cards uh their luxuries be it, you know these uh airport lounges or uh, getting extra points that you can use for air travel or food or even apple products but you have to be conscious that you never pay an interest on those credit cards and i have always maintained that i don't think i've ever paid interest on a remaining statement balance so Yes, I do use credit cards. I do buy everything on my credit card. I rarely do I ever use my debit card. I think using a credit card is also kind of safe because uh if there's a transaction that's wrong or somebody steals it, then and if there's an extra amount on it that you haven't authorized, then banks can take care of it. A debit card uh, if it's stolen and the money is gone, it's gone. The banks are not going to do anything about it. So there are some pros about it. It's just that I've noticed that a lot of people who are native to the US and to Canada they take credit as actual money. It, it, that, that's not how this works. 
And it's it's ridiculous because I remember uh, at some point when I ordered my credit cards, I was getting credit cards with a credit limit of like thirty thousand, forty thousand, and I was like, at that point, I I wasn't even making that much. I'm like, you know, my salary is barely as much as a credit limit. Why would you ever give me that? And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people, as soon as they get a very high credit limit, they think they can pay, they can use that. And of course, if you can't meet the monthly payments and you start paying interest rates as high as 25%, at that point, you're screwed. So it's a vicious cycle that you have to make sure you never get caught in because it could cost you dearly. And as an immigrant, it's just a lot, a lot for you to wrap your head around. I would say the way I went about it is, in grad school, I had just one credit card from the credit union that I had an account with. And I think I had used it once to activate it, and that was it. That's a good strategy. So what I noticed is that when we come here, we need the bare minimum initially. You know, you're living like a grad student, you're living in the dorms or you're living off campus, where whatever your situation I mean, is. A lot of it seems temporary. I mean, as immigrants, it's not like you can afford that much more either, right? So, Right, That's and that's what I'm trying to get at is you don't need to spend that money initially, even though it is technically available to you through True. these credit cards. True. So it's easier to restrict yourself initially because a lot of us don't know how long we're going to be here. You know, the first year, first two year, you're learning the system in terms of immigration. You're trying to understand once I graduate, how long how long can I potentially stay in this country? What long-term investment can I afford to actually... Because you won't... If you're coming in and you know you're going to leave in two or three years, it's rare that you're actually going to go out, you know, even after you graduate and, and invest in property. Because properties are expensive here and you're not going to want that sort of debt on your head unless you have the money to actually throw at it. I mean, so, you're, nobody's going to give these, you that loan or that mortgage either. Like banks are not going to authorize. You'd be, su- you'd be surprised. It, maybe not the banks, but there are, like you said, even with credit cards, the fact that they target students who are a lot of people who don't make as much money and they give them these credit limits that seem unreal it doesn't add up on paper a lot of it is entrapment you know they're trying to catch they're certainly trying to target demographics that can't afford to pay them back because that's how they make their money and when we come in and we see things that we would like because you come to the u.s you come to canada you see the lifestyle that comes with living here as well you know you're not going to obviously if you're this podcast has talked so much about how when we come in, we want to integrate, we want to assimilate, we want to try and be like everybody else around yeah. here and fit in. And a lot of what goes into fitting in is the way that we uh, the way that we dress, the way that we spend our money is a huge part of it. Because you want to have the nice apartment, you might want to have the nice car so that you can technically show people that this is where I live. I, I live like you, I have a nice car like you, you know, I... I I can walk the talk the way you do here. But you don't know their stories in terms of how they're actually affording those things. And it's easy to think that the credit that you get from a bank is free money. And um, I I think that I caught on to that early on when I started actually talking to a lot of my classmates and friends about how they were affording their education because I kept hearing the word student loan. Yeah. And all of them. Yeah. 
their first objective once they graduated was i need to make enough money so that i can make a huge dent in these student loans that i have you know they had been in school for 4 6 years at that point and they hadn't really been making money as such you know they they had off campus jobs or on campus jobs that paid whatever minimum so knowing that they were in such huge debt they were really really careful about putting stuff on credit cards some of them a lot of people they just couldn't afford to live any other way they had to put their expenses on credit it could have been something as simple as books that they needed for college and over here it's expensive compared to india at least you know just buying college textbooks they're really expensive if you need them brand new and uh, you might not have enough money in your savings account to actually pay for that stuff so all of it goes on credit you've got your outstanding student loans you get a nice job the day you graduate and you've still got this massive negative debt on your head when you leave what do you do then you open another credit card and you try and transfer the balance over to that other credit card and it's pretty much what you said it's a vicious cycle and it's really easy to feel like the system's against you and you're trapped and in many ways the system is gunning for you to fail in terms of making payments and the only way out of it is to is to start budgeting is to start making sense of what you can actually afford and i think as people who've lived with the bare minimum many of us you know coming from countries where you only bought what you could afford you didn't buy it on credit you didn't do the monthly installments it's easier for us to go into that mindset of okay i would love this apartment but the rent is 1500 and my budget is technically 1200 i can't even though it's $300 more i know $300 more for a whole year is 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 thousands of dollars that i don't have and uh and it's easy for me to then step back and say okay i can't afford that done where i see a lot of people who've grown up with the idea of credit or with the idea of getting or who are comfortable with that they just they look at it as okay it's an expense today i don't have to think about it it's on my card i'll think about it when i have to think about it and it's led to thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that an individual might have to keep for life unless they pay it back yeah i think you know uh, at a certain point when you're just stuck in that rut of um amassing debt and the interest uh, i think people just give up i can't even imagine that sounds like a nightmare but the whole point is not getting caught into that and the reason why you and i are talking about this is because as immigrants you don't understand the system at all the way anyone learns uh, about the place that they're at is by watching and observing the surroundings and that can be good and bad the problem with the credit cycle that exists in the US or Canada is that everybody including adults do it you know they make these mistakes and nobody's immune to it uh everybody tries to get the new and the latest phone every year to me it's insane the fact that you will replace your phone every year and each phone costs upwards of a thousand bucks because i mean iphones are it's hard to find an android phone in the us in canada it's still a yeah. bit more common but i mean if you go to any bar and you're like hey can i get a charger and they're like oh android mm, sorry because everything's iphone and those phones start at about 1200 easy 
So if you're replacing that every year, the only way you can do it is when all of these carriers, they say, all right, you know, come and take a line with us and a, a phone line with us. And your monthly payments are going to be 60 bucks. Or your monthly payments are going to be 80 bucks or 100 bucks. And it seems affordable, but it's not. You're overpaying for a piece of device that's going to be outdated in a matter of months. And everything in the US has become that way. It's either a subscription service or it's something that's a monthly payment. Everything. And of course, every store has its own credit card. Yeah, you'll save 15 bucks here, you'll save 10 bucks there, just open a credit card with us. And so before you know it, you've opened up like 10,000 different credit cards, some of which have annual payments. And you're just digging yourself a hole and you don't even realize it because you're so new to it. For me, I was kind of lucky because I had my uncle and I think uh, the first thing he said is like, don't sign up for that card. And the thing is, you know, in India, when you're signing up for a credit card, it's a kind of a big deal. You've got to go to the bank, uh, to the branch and you sit down, you fill out the forms and like there's a process to it. That's not the case in the U.S. So you go to, uh, I don't know, uh, Hollister, and they'll be like at checkout, hey, do you have a card with us? Would you like one today? Uh, Sure. All right, just sign here, this, and you're done. What? You just open up a credit card that they're going to make a credit inquiry, which uh, invariably is going to create a dent in your credit score. And you're not even going to realize it if you're a new immigrant and you don't understand the economic cycle that the U.S. is. And that's the thing is like, just with money, I would not recommend following in your neighbor's steps. The good thing is that YouTube today is fantastic. If you want to make yourself aware about these things, then there is no dearth of resources. And I think there has been a social awakening in terms of dealing with finances for our generation and the generation right behind us. And that's all thanks to YouTube. There's so many influencers, so to speak, uh, not in a condescending way, but genuinely there are people who speak about maintaining a lifestyle that is within your means. They talk about saving, they talk about uh, which accounts are what, which banks are better. You just have to take an interest. That's it. The resources are out there. So that's one good thing. But I know that when you and I first stepped into the U.S., it wasn't like that. We just figured it out as we went, you know, by trial and error. And we've made a few mistakes. To be honest, uh, (laughs) I am still making mistakes. I just bought a brand new car for $24,000, which is the stupidest thing that anybody who is financially responsible should do. But I did it. For me, the biggest thing initially was, and this is going to sound dumb again, but when you were talking about the, when you came in and you you looked into phone plans and, you know, getting a phone and how everyone here has an iPhone, I remember how excited I was yeah. uh, back in India when I knew I was coming here. I was like, I've never had an yes. iPhone before. I'm going to get yeah. one. And these monthly payments things seem like it'll make it affordable. Yeah. Everyone there has it. How does everyone afford it? Even students, like all everyone. the students around me had iPhones. So our, uh, AT&T or one of those providers, they came to our campus and they were signing us up for accounts. And they the campus actually helped us do that because we didn't have social security. We didn't have any of those documents. 
you would normally need. And the guy comes up and he says, okay, do you want to sign up for an iPhone? You can sign up for a contract. I'm like, oh, contract. Okay. So he said, you're locked in for two years and uh, you can upgrade after a year. And this is how much it's going to cost per month. I'm like, that's not bad for the phone. It was like 20 bucks or 30 bucks a month for depending on which model you got. And he's like, that's on. Oh, and also you have to pay for talk and text and you know, just the regular phone stuff. So it all overall, it came to like 70 bucks a month or 80 bucks a month. And that just blew my mind because it didn't make any sense mathematically why it should cost that much. It's another thing where in India, all the phone lines, you know, remember the just in general calling anyone or talking on the phone was dirt cheap on cell phones compared to here. Telecom is like that industry by far. I mean, India is the cheapest across the world. It's pointless comparing. It's ridiculous. Right. That's probably why they've had scams over there yeah. in terms of the the way the network's been allocated. But uh, I digress. That led me to believe that things were initially affordable. But then once you actually see behind the the marketing that is being played out in front of you and you can actually tell what they're trying to do, they're trying to hook you. They're, is it better for them to sell you a phone or is it better for them to have you on the hook for two years? It's the same as any payment plan. You're not, it's, there's no, it's not uh, without penalties. It's not without consequences. If you don't make that payment, you know, you haven't technically, you don't own that phone. You lease it from them till you make all the payments. Yeah, because I mean, for a company that makes complete sense, right? You're insuring a monthly income for the next two years. Yeah. Uh, If I was a business owner, I would think the same way. I think the issue becomes that most people here, especially when you come in initially, it's easy not to see that as a ploy. It is sometimes easier because we've come from a place where that doesn't exist that you question it. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. Why should I pay every month when I can pay a little more and go buy the phone for myself? And uh, that's what I did. So I I couldn't afford the iPhone initially, came in, and two years of college, I didn't have an iPhone. And I remember graduating, and that was one of the... when I got a job, that was one of the first things I bought. But I bought it outright. I didn't buy it with a contract. I bought it without a contract. Went and got a prepaid card, which I still don't understand the difference between prepaid and postpaid over here. You technically pay it after a month. It's not like I put minutes on it. Yeah. But um, yeah, and that's how I solved that thing for myself. That's how I figured out that contracts are not for me. I don't need to upgrade my phone every year, even though people here like a lot of people like like doing that. Uh, that was not a priority. I did the same thing with my car purchase. You know, I had to take a loan, but you shop around, you find the best deal that's available to you. And, um, it has to make sense financially what you can afford. You need to know that number going into any transaction. And, uh, it was, I'd say it was, it was against the curve in terms of what everybody else was doing around me. So you're right. You don't necessarily have to, because you're new here, you might assume that what everyone else is doing is correct, you know, financially at least, and you need to follow those steps in order to get rich, to survive even. But no one really discloses their bank balance to you at the end of the day. No one, you don't know what sort of debt someone is swimming in to afford that lifestyle that they're presenting to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, phones still, it's like a small commodity, but cars, that's like the next big thing. Like the whole concept of lease is 
It's insane. I mean, at one point, the convenience of it is fantastic. Uh, I think the fact that you can lease a car for two years and not be bothered about the maintenance and the upkeep and everything is the company's responsibility. I think that's that's perfect. But you have to be conscious and informed before you sign those contracts because a lot of times these companies are trying to factor in the entire cost of the car within a matter of two years. You know, and it, that's just, no, it's it's just not going to work. I don't know. Uh, it, it's just, so to me, the way I look at it is if you're a well-informed, educated individual and you take the time to understand the economics of the U.S., you can actually profit by taking opportunity of these schemes. You really can. You just have to be careful. You have to be sincere that I will never pay interest. You have to be diligent about doing the math prior to signing any contract and then go for it and have a game plan. Like, all right, if I am going to be financing a car that's worth $24,000, I'm going to buy a car that's going to have a high resale value, have an approximate amount that I know that I'm going to get back once I sell the car in about three years, and have a good reason for buying a new car to begin with. In my case, it was the fact that I drive about 90 kilometers a day. So it made sense. But you have to have a game plan. So these are, I mean, you know, these are the small stuff. This is about how you should not spend your money. The other part of the equation is how you should be investing all that money that you just saved by not spending on shit. And that's, I think, the big curveball that uh, hits us all, especially as people who are coming from countries where the stock exchange is not exactly something that's mandatory for everyone to invest in. Because the stock market here, whether you like it or not, it's going to affect your life. It's going to affect your retirement. When people say that you should have a retirement account where you should contribute monthly, it's not like you're just putting in the cash and then forgetting about it and that money grows. India, it was like that, where you would just put in the cash and you would get an interest on that because banks would use that money to fund their other ventures. But here, it's mostly you have to invest in the stock market. So either you do it for you, uh, you do it for yourself, or you get a financial advisor who does it for you, or your company does it for you when you are investing in a 401k. But the end game is that you have to invest in the stock market. And it is scary because a lot of times, if you're one of those unlucky generations that, you know, you hit 60 or 65 and you're graduating in a year where the, you know, the stock market is undergoing a recession, then it sucks. That could always happen. That's a possibility. But the problem is you can't be fearful of that and not invest because, Inflation today, more than ever, is a reality. Over 25% of all the dollars that is in circulation in the U.S. has been printed within the last 12 to 16 months. So inflation is on a rise. Keeping cash, it's just depreciating every minute, every hour. Uh, So stocks are definitely a good hedge against that. I know a lot of people buy gold. But just putting your money in a savings account and thinking that you're doing your due diligence in ensuring your future is not the way to go. 
And it, I think it's a very hard concept for a lot of people who weren't raised here. Because I don't know what it was for you, Prana, but growing up, all I've heard is like, oh, you should never invest in the stock market. It's just gambling. It's like the casino. It was a lot of it was that. And I I saw similar reactions from people who had invested in the markets. You know, the when you go to a casino, you see someone lose big. They usually are. It's very visceral. You can actually see them physically drain, like the life just drain out of them. You know, they've thrown their life savings or God knows what amount of money at in the market and they've lost. And it's similar with people who go big in the stock markets because they either win big or they win or they lose big. And it doesn't have to be that way. I've learned that now over the last few years of having been in the market. And again, we, Sandeep and I are not experts. We're not financial advisors. We're not advising you to pick specific not stocks, nothing close. of that sort. But no, all it's just our opinion at the end of the day. But um, there's a reason most people are invested in the stock markets here. And it's not that difficult to do, especially once you look at the way uh, a lot of brokerage firms have set up right now. They are making it so that you can do commission-free trading, so you don't have to pay commissions anymore like you did even five years ago. You probably had to pay commissions for a trade, and that doesn't exist anymore. 401ks are pretty easy to manage, especially if you're working for a big enough company. A lot of the times, they'll match your contributions to a certain percentage, and it's free money that you're letting go of if you're not taking advantage of that. And... uh like you said, it's the idea is to diversify. These are a couple of tools that are important that you invest in. You don't have to put all your savings in there. You should spread it out. I think you would be, you know, it'd be a mistake if you, everything's sitting in the market and the market crashes and you're suddenly worth negative something. <laughs> and uh, real estate's another one you could go into, you know, depending on, there, I think there are different stages to it. You know, starting off, first job, in hand first salary first few salaries in the bank you should probably be looking at the stock market as an individual and i would say i mean i take it a step further i don't think you need a financial advisor when you start off because it's not very complicated to pick a good index fund no not at all and just stick through the market you know it'll go up it'll go down it usually will end up at a positive percentage rate by the end of it a year, two years, three years, just set it and forget it. The mistake is not doing it at all. And because compound interest will bite you in the butt later, you know, the years that you haven't been in the market or you haven't been invested will be something you'll regret later. And you'll only, you don't want to be looking back and, you know, having those feelings. And it is a psychology, Sandeep. And, you know, we come from a place where that wasn't required and we're coming into an environment where a lot of people either don't talk about it or don't know know enough to talk about it you know a lot of people that we went to school with friends they're not necessarily invested in the markets they don't necessarily play the financial game unless that's what they do for a living but to really be successful in this country even to just meet inflation rates every year if you're not invested you're doing something wrong there's the you either are living paycheck to paycheck and that's a whole other problem where you probably need to get a better job or find something that pays more another stream of income but if you have money left over and it's just sitting in a bank account somewhere uh 
for one thing, it's if it's invested, it's going to grow. The other good thing about it being invested is you can't touch it. You can't technically go and spend that money on something that you want because it's not liquid. It's. I mean, you can. I mean, you, uh, you shouldn't. I mean, you could always sell those uh, stocks. You can, but it's not in your bank account. When you look at your bank account, it's going to be... Yes. It's going to have the money that's available yeah. to you. So you're not, you're going to think twice about wanting to make that big purchase yeah. or, you know, put in a down payment somewhere unless you want to break investments. So psychologically, I think it's better to have things automated yeah. in terms of your finances. If you can have it so that every paycheck that you get a certain amount leaves your checking account and goes into a savings account or into a, or into a, um, a financial account where you can invest it. That's way better than it just sitting in your checkings account being available to be spent. And uh, you don't even have to do it manually every week. You could just set it up to do it automatically. No, I agree. I think when it comes to investing, you should keep it simple. Don't, and <laughs> it's a bit hypocritical for me to be talking about it. I was going to mention that don't pick stocks even though I do it. I mean, you can have different investment accounts and, you know, do some as index funds, do some as ETFs, but I mean, we can get into that later in future episodes or nuggets. But I think starting off, the basics are, first, have enough cash saved. So that if you're ever in an emergency, such as you lose your job or your car breaks down, or, uh, you know, the market is in a recession, make sure you have enough cash so you don't have to liquidate your stocks. That's key. So save enough cash. Number two, whatever you can, max out your company's provided 401k. If they're providing a matching of 5%, go for 5%. Some companies are high, some companies are low. Max that out, all right? Just set it up automatically so that they take it out of your paycheck uh, every two weeks and you're good. Third, once you've saved enough cash, you can keep adding a bit to it side by side. You've taken out your uh, 401k contribution, whatever money you're left with that, go ahead and invest it in an index fund. It is by far the easiest thing to do. Even if the market crashes and you lose 90% of its value, rest be assured, it will go up again you will end up in a positive, at least if you go by recent history. By recent history, I mean since, I don't know, the 1940s? Once you're at a point where you think you have enough money to spare and you're sort of enjoying the process of picking stocks, I'm not going to advise you to do that because more often than not, you are just going to lose money. Uh you know, the best of the best people do. A lot of people try and beat the market by picking individual stocks. And even the best of the best managers have not been able to do it consistently year over year. They're probably just a handful. And even those handful of people, the way their psychology is, is value investing. They buy amazing businesses at fair prices, not if it's hyped up, at fair prices, and they never touch it you know, be it Berkshire Hathaway or uh, Monish Pabrai's fund or Lilo Ansley, they, these are super investors and 
their ideology is value investing. They don't go after the hype. They don't go after the trendy stocks. They go after companies that are providing value, that have a secure future, that have profits rolling in, and their stocks are selling at a price that makes sense. And you buy that and you stay on it. And, and, and that's just, for, just keep it simple, especially when you're new. And if you do that, you know, just blindly just keep contributing to your 401k and, and index fund. I think you're fine. I think you're doing, I think you're doing more than 90% of the population of the US and Canada combined. Probably, yeah, at that stage. If you've made it to that stage, you can consider yourself fortunate, but also that you've, you know, you've done your research and it's going to pay off. And uh, yeah, so just for people who don't know, a 401k is a retirement account that most companies in um, North America, I'm not sure about Canada, but the US for sure, a lot of bigger companies have this uh, account set up for you to contribute towards your retirement. And they'll they'll usually match it up to a certain percentage. We'll definitely get into 401ks in, in a future nugget. But uh, I would say that as far as investing strategies go, my main thing is to minimize the downside. So what Sandeep was talking about when he said picking stocks, you know, picking stocks is risky. Uh, on the other hand, an index fund is is probably your safest bet. So if you have enough of your money saved up and invested in an index fund, which is a safer bet, but it's usually not going to be as high of a gain. If you have money to spare after that, you could go in and look at something like picking a stock or picking stocks because that's money essentially that you don't mind losing. If there's a problem after you've lost, like let's say you lose all the money that you picked a stock with and you're not able to pay rent for some reason the next week, there's an issue. Then you, you're not in a place where you can actually afford to pick stocks. And uh, so we definitely want to add that as a caveat to, to that methodology. But I'd, I'd say most investors that do it well are minimizing the downside yeah and if if you can minimize their downside and you know not take hits just chasing that high of getting you know a good return you've done your job you've done your job in terms of investing you're gonna you'll you'll be fine the market will take care of you but uh, yeah and i want to you have to be careful with that reiterate we are by no means we are financial advisors like do your own due diligence do your own research I think you'll understand a lot more about the market. Look up what an S&P 500 is. Look up what the NASDAQ index is. These are basics. It doesn't take that long. These are very simple concepts that might seem very complicated in the beginning, but eventually you'll get a hang of it. There's no point watching CNBC day after day, hour after hour, like a lot of our dads and uncles have done. Uh, no. Mm -hmm. uh, Contribute to your company's matching 401k, max it out, and have an automatic, uh, I don't know, contribution of, I don't know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks, 500 bucks, whatever your salary is, to uh, your own brokerage that automatically just buys up an index fund or an ETF, like a VO, like the Vanguard index fund for the S&P 500. And that's it. They do that and forget it. And just make sure that you have enough cash so that in a case of emergency, you are not looking at your investment portfolio. You should never touch your investment portfolio. Even if you do, it's only to readjust the portfolio, but not because you need cash. 
if you do that, it means that you went wrong at some point in your financial planning. Other than that, I know that a lot of people also, you know, they save up uh, the initial cash that they start making right after graduation for a down payment on a house. I think especially for Asians, that's like a huge thing. It's like you have to get married and you have to have a house. Those are two things are that are <laughs> your parents are not going to let you be without. So a house is definitely not a bad investment. Just, you know, make sure that you're not uh, overextending yourself to make that happen. Make sure that you're not house poor. The way to retiring wealthy in the U.S. is making sure that you live within your means. You buy stuff that has, that appreciates and not depreciates. And there's a balance that you're investing in real estate. And then you, after you've paid your mortgage for the month, you have money left over that you can invest as well. And if you can pull that off, I think after 30, 40 years, most likely you will retire a significantly wealthier human being. Yeah. It's, we learn, uh, hindsight is going to be 2020. You know, we look back 40 years down the line, 30 years down the line and, You'll either be happy that you made these changes or you'll regret that you didn't do something sooner. And investing is definitely one of those things where it only gets better with time. You know, the longer something's sitting in an account, compound interest works in your favor. So I think, yeah, that's basically what we wanted to tell you guys was, you know, coming to a new country, we had to learn the way the systems work here. I know that I thought very differently about finances. I probably didn't think a whole lot about finances when I was back in Nobody India. does when you're that young, which is fine. And that's yeah. natural. It's just um, things are expensive, you know, just don't get yourself caught unaware in a circumstance, in a situation where the way out is expensive. That's all. And yeah, and, uh, you know, we're going to want to turn to friends and family back home in our home countries for advice when it comes to these things it might not apply here a lot of it might apply a lot of it might not apply so it's best to do your own research sometimes you might want to turn to people around you and see you know they seem to have the nice car they seem to have a nice house i should probably do what they're doing you might want to rethink that too you might want to do your own research you can actually justify your purchases and your expenses and know that you have enough saved up at the end of the day for a rainy day, you've done a good job. But if you can't and you're just copying someone else's style, that's probably not going to play out well in the long run. So I think with that, we'll call this an episode. And uh, I don't know, was there anything else you wanted to add, Sandeep? No, I think uh, we barely brushed the surface of investing and finances. I think there's a lot more to it. And both you and I, we talk about it almost every week. We do keep a tap on the stock market. And I think ever since the pandemic, the stock market has been a hot topic for everyone. I think these are one of those times where the average person should be very, very cautious. Where everything's overhyped, everything's overextended, everything is extremely expensive, and everything seems like like this joyride is never gonna end. So except Dogecoin. If you can buy Dogecoin, go buy. Oh my buy. God, dude, you're going to get a sued. <laughs> no, don't listen to him. This guy's, you can't see him. And that's why we should have videos, but he's definitely being sarcastic. 
please do not buy Dogecoin or Shitcoin or any other random altcoin that, uh, no, please don't. You know, your money is hard-earned. It takes hours and hours for you to earn it. It might take you a second to lose it. Be that be on a pair of new sneakers or in the stock market. Everybody's out there to get your money. So just be cautious, be careful, be responsible. Yep. And on that note, uh, if you have any questions or comments about this episode, or if you have any ideas for future episodes for us, please reach us on Twitter at Just Hit Record Podcast. That's JHR Podcast. But until next time, we'll see you again on another episode of Just Hit Record. Oh, no.